Are you ready to study the scripture? All right, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, verse 25. I want you to bring your Bibles to church. One of the reasons that we don't project scriptures onto the screen is because I want you to know your Bible. I want you to look it up. I want you to have your pen in hand. I want you to circle what's, what Jesus has said in the scriptures. And I want you to get to know your Bible. So bring your Bible to church, get your pen in your hand, and let's share the scriptures together. Um, I think we have some pictures from all of our serving that we had going on yesterday with Love Austin. And I'd kind of like you to kind of see those. It's an amazing thing to me to watch people get into our city, get their hands dirty, do what Jesus has put in them to do, to serve. Uh, this is a group from Town Lake. They went all around and, and cleaned up stuff and, and made sure that the parks were clean. This is the group down at the... Um, down uh, right in the middle of downtown in a really difficult part of our city, feeding homeless people, feeding people in need. Uh, we had so much chicken. I was, it was funny. It was kind of like that feeling like the feeding of the four or 5,000, you know, and the chicken was just flying and people were eating it. It was amazing to see that happen. And uh, so it was, it was incredible to be part of the effort to reach out into our city, to love our city, and to serve our city. I want to talk to you this morning about serving. I want to talk to you about, in these couple weeks leading up to Easter, the passion that Jesus had for serving. As we come up on Easter, what we see is that there's a lot of discussion about the Passion Week, the Passion Week of Christ. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the, uh, the idea behind passion, the root meaning is intense desire, intense emotion. Something that, that refers to in the underlying messages of passion, the anguish that is involved, the intensity that is involved in something, the, the, in the deep emotional angst that people have when they have passion for something. They have passion for feeding homeless people. When you meet somebody who has passion, they have an intense desire. We have some of those people that are part of our church, and they see everything, everything that's going on around them through the lens of making sure that people who don't have, have what they need. It's an intensity inside of them. Um, down here in Texas, in these parts, we got a lot of people who have a passion for football, <laughs> passion for the Longhorns. It is an intense desire, and this year they did have a lot of angst, <laughs> a lot of anguish, a lot of suffering. <laughs> but there's something that Jesus had in his Passion Week, and so leading, leading up here to, to Easter, I want to talk about two things that Jesus had a passion for. It is very clear that he had a passion for people. Everywhere that he goes in the scriptures, you see him stopping to minister to individuals, even in the midst of a crowd. Sometimes he would try to escape the crowd and go up into the mountains and pray and have time alone with his father, but the crowd would discover where he was, and they would, they would come and find him. He'd go around to the other side of the lake, and the crowd would run around and find him on the other side. And you know what he would do when, he, when that happened? He would take the next several hours 
And he would minister to the crowd. He would heal them. He would serve them. He would love them. He had a passion for serving people. He had a passion for giving of himself. Even when it was uncomfortable, even when it it wasn't seemingly the right time or the right moment, he took time to do it. You see Jesus, when he had a crowd of people in the Gospels, you see him, the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. In one of those stories, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, send these, send these people away. They're all crowding in on us, and they've been listening to you. They, they need to go away and eat. They're going to be hungry. And Jesus turned back to them, and he said, you give them something to eat. He, in essence, said, you need to serve these people. Jesus had a passion for serving people, and he wants us to have that same passion. What I saw yesterday was people with a passion for serving And I just want to explore that subject. And the reason I want to explore that subject is because we're in the first several months of our church and we're laying these foundations and we keep revisiting some very familiar passages, but these are passages that are shaping for us. They shape who we are. We are becoming who Jesus wants us to be. And one of the things that is so important for one chapel to embrace, to understand, that we are called to serve, that we came to this city to serve people in need. We came to serve people who were hungry. We came, one chapel is a family of believers that's going to be given to serving. And so I want to talk about that. Matthew 20, if you look there, This is Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples. Verse 25 says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. What he was saying is is that the structures of society, the Gentiles of his day, the Romans, the governmental structure, the authority structures, he said, you know how people lord it over you. They prove that they're in charge by an iron fist. They they build their their pyramid scheme, and they, they get on top of each other until they're at the top. They lord it over people. He said, this is how it works in the world. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, not so with you. This isn't how you're supposed to work. This isn't how you function. He said, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your, what does it say? Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your, that's an uncomfortable word, isn't it? That what I'm signing up for here when I come to Christ is I'm signing up for serving. I'm signing up for being a slave. (laughs) I'm signing up for giving my life. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the picture of Jesus that we have in the Gospels. This desire to lay his life down, this desire to serve those who are in need. In fact, it is the very purpose for which he came. Look over in Philippians, if you'll turn over there real quickly. Go to the right, several books into the New Testament. Turn over there to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll see the attitude that Jesus embraced. We'll see the picture of who Christ was, who Christ is. As we look at this, it says, um, let's start in Verse 3, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to the Philippian church. And he's describing for them what they are called to. He's describing for them what they are supposed to be as a church. 
And so when you, when you hear this, you should imagine in your mind the Apostle Paul writing to you, the Austonian church, the church of Austin, the church that gathers in Austin, one chapel and others. He says, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, everybody say humility. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Consider others as better than yourselves. Now, I think this is one of the most difficult scriptures to obey in the Bible. (laughs) Because, I mean, honestly, I mean, you are really better than the people you know, right? (laughs) I mean, you know so many people who aren't quite as good as you right? What, what this scripture says is you should look around at your friends. You should look around at the people at work. You should look around at the people in the body of Christ. Oh, you should look at your family members, your spouse, your kids, your parents. And you should look at them and you should say, I consider them better than myself. I consider them worthy of serving. Each of you, verse 4 says, should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The life of a Christian is a life lived for others. The life of a believer is a life that is lived being interested in other people. I'm pretty convinced that one of the things that is so challenging in starting a new church or having a group of people join together in a body of believers is especially in our Western American 21st century mindset is that we think about church in terms of what it can do for me. I come to church to get fed. Yeah. See, so what I'm saying is, is that I think you're missing it here. What I'm saying is you don't come to church to get fed. You get fed by God's word and what Jesus does in your life. And then your responsibility is to feed others. Okay. So, so, but it's very challenging for us, isn't it? I mean, because our tendency is just to let the world revolve around us. To let the world revolve around who we are. I, I, you know, I've led worship for many, many years, and you lead worship in worship-leading circles. You hear some really good jokes. One of the greatest jokes I heard about worship leaders is how many worship leaders does it take to lead worship? Just one. Sorry, to lead the world in worship. Sorry, <laughs> I, that, was, that was a little awkward, wasn't it? How many worship leaders does it take to lead the world in worship? Just one, because he lifts his hands and the world revolves around him. It, the, the, the struggle with many of us in our own sinful nature, our own selfish nature, is to look at the world through what it can be or have, or do for us. The people of God are called to live the opposite way. And it is a challenge. 
And so here, verse 5, Jesus, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, here's how Jesus did it. He says, your attitude should be the same. Everybody say the same. My attitude is supposed to be the same as Jesus? Wait a minute, that is way too much for me. I'm not, I don't know that I can do that. You can do it by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. You can live your life for other person. Your attitude, everybody say my attitude. My attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It's a curious little phrase. What it means is that Jesus, instead of grasping at equality with God, which is what he had, which is what he has, he let it go. He did not grab a hold of it and, and try to hang on to it. He let it go, his equality with God, and he became human. What it says here is, but made himself nothing. I want you to underline that little word, nothing. He made himself nothing. When you begin to think about the fact that we're supposed to make ourselves nothing like Jesus did, that's a challenging thing in our self-esteem culture. I'm supposed to believe in myself. I'm supposed to, you know, I got to love me before I can love anybody else. Actually, that's not what the Scriptures teaches. Actually, what the Scripture teaches is if you love God, He empowers you then to love others. And actually, by loving others, then you learn how to love God. It's a symbiotic process. Ooh, big word alert. It goes back and forth. You, it empowers you. There's something that we've got to figure out. You've got to know who you are. I know the self-esteem culture is an issue in our American mindset. But the issue with healthy self-esteem, you know what it is? It's knowing who you are. It's knowing what kind of person you are. And the way that we're supposed to understand who we are is through this book, the scriptures. We understand that we are children of, of God, that we are his kids, and we've received the power of God through his spirit within us. He calls us, he has counted us worthy to give his life for us and has included us in his purpose in the earth. That will give you some pretty healthy self-esteem. So here it is, he says, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. Everybody say obedient. Oh, there it is. That's the most difficult thing, becoming obedient even to death. Death to you and me means life. The life of Christ being able to fill our lives. If we choose not to die, we choose not to receive the life of God. Serving is about death to yourself. Serving is about being willing to have death to this and life that is flowing through you to other people. And of course, you see here, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then we see the picture. Here's what happens when you are willing to do that. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I remember my second job 
that I ever had in my life. The first job I had was a paper route. <laughs> 13 years old, slinging papers from a bicycle. I, <laughs> I, have n I, I, I had never been so mistreated in my life. <laughs> uh, crazy packs of dogs chasing me on my bike. Um, crazy stuff, people yelling at you to get off the porch. It prepared me well for what I would do next because what I did next is I, I took a job where I had a, a special task. I talked with people who were in a desperate state. I, I helped them with their most basic needs. Food after midnight. I worked at Wendy's. I worked at Wendy's for three and a half years, from age 15 to 19. It was crazy. And it was, um, I, I mean, I wore the uniform. The uniform was so ugly. I mean, it was like, like those stripes, you know, like the uh, loud aqua stripes. And then a, a hat that was really ugly and kind of a goofy hat that would kind of hang over your head like a hairnet. It was it was so embarrassing. I was, I was a skinny, scrawny kid, so they didn't have any shirts that fit me. So I was like, it looked like I was wearing a blanket. And uh, I just remember the ridicule that you take when you work at a fast food location. And I, and I understand it now. I mean, do you ever drive up to the drive-thru drive window and they say, some, sometimes just to mess with them, I'll say it back to them. <laughs> They'd be like, I'm sorry, what was that? One of my most favorite things to do when I worked at Wendy's was to serve people who were really angry. Now, you might think to yourself, that's really weird. Well, it's a pretty monotonous job. It's not very fun. You get grease all over you. It's just, I mean, you're working fries. You're working the grill. It's, what, what I love to do is work behind the counter, and then I was amazed. It's shocking, shocking how angry people can get over mustard. <laughs> people would come up to that counter, and they would, like, slam their burgers down. This is wrong. I said no mustard! <laughs> it was a test of my ability to serve. It's a test of my ability to serve. Here's the thing. Most of us love being a servant until somebody starts treating us like a servant. Here's the problem with the church is we need to embrace this mindset of a servant because people are going to mistreat you. And we're not serving them so that they'll treat you nice. You're not just serving them if they treat you nice. In fact, I think what God calls us to do is serve people who are in a desperate state, who are full of anger, full of frustration, full of darkness, and it is our serving that does something. I used to love to smile at them. 
I don't know what it is. I'm, I must be warped or something. But they would come up, and I would just say, oh, I am so sorry about that. Let me get you an extra fry. Here's a, here's a Coke. Would you like any? And they didn't know what to do. Like, I would be so nice. I would be there smiling. I'm so sorry this happened. And they'd be like, okay, all right, good. Is there anything else I can get you? Because I'm so sorry that happened. Well, uh, no, I just want my hamburger. <laughs> it was amazing how it would melt. It would melt their anger, the kindness, the love. What does the scripture say about how God woos us to himself? It says his loving kindness leads us to repentance. When you're willing to serve in the face of this kind of an onslaught, Your serving undoes the darkness. Your serving undoes the anger. Your serving does something to people. It allows room for the Holy Spirit to speak into their lives. I'm convinced that this is the model that Jesus has for us. Turn your Bibles to John 13, and this will be our, our final stop here today. John chapter 13 And you'll see Jesus, he's, he's doing something that is very countercultural. Verse 1 says, It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The meaning behind that little phrase is kind of he loved them to the last. He loved them to the end. He didn't quit. He surrendered all to the end. It's a challenge for us. The passion of Jesus was to love to the end, to give himself fully, the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. I want you to notice this. Judas is sitting in the room. Peter is sitting in the room. Notice what happens. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, see the picture. Look at me. Look back up here. Jesus understood what he was there for. He, this is the Passion Week. He is engaged here at the Passover meal, and he's looking forward to the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to happen. He understands that all power and authority has been given to him. He understands that he has it all. He has everything. He has all that God, his Father, needs to give him. And so the next words in the passage are so important. God wants to give you all of the authority and all of the power through his Spirit, the power and the authority to do anything that he asks you to do. He wants to give it all to you. The question is, what will you use it for? God is looking all across the earth for faithful people who will be willing to serve. Jesus already holds it out to us. We read it earlier. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you must be the servant of all. So Jesus here, we see him. He has all authority. He has all power. What will he do with it? The next word tells it all. So so he took a towel. He got up and wrapped a towel. Uh, sorry, he got up from the meal, took off 
the, his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. You have to understand how countercultural this really was, how shocking it was for the disciples. The person that is the servant in the house who washes the feet of the people who come in. You understand the, the, the dirty feet that are coming into a house. This was a, this was a hospitality act that many, many uh, homes in f- this first century Jewish culture and Greek culture would have known and understood But this is the lowest person in the home. This is the the lowest servant. The list of servants, you can go down the list, and the one at the bottom, you know what his job is? His job is to wipe, clean, wash the dirty, grimy, muddy, stinky, (laughs) fungus-filled, toenail grossness, (laughs) the nasty feet of people who come in. Here's the thing. This is a job that no one would volunteer for. This is a job that no one wants. It must be assigned. Nobody wants it. You, you, you're wondering, and the duties are going to come out. Who's going to get the job? Nobody volunteers for this job. They get assigned for it. So it's shocking that Jesus actually takes a towel and takes on the role of the lowest servant in the house. In the minds of the disciples, they would have seen it. They would have understood what he was doing, and they couldn't, they couldn't quite grip it. They couldn't quite understand it. And that's why you see in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? This doesn't make any sense. You're the teacher. You're the rabbi. You're the one who leads us. This is crazy. I'm not going to let you do this, is essentially what Peter says. Jesus replied to him, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Isn't it true that all of us, this is how it works with us, you you find your way, you commit to getting up early on a Saturday morning and showing up at 8.30 to a park where no one is doing anything and 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 you begin to pick up trash. Nobody sees you, nobody knows you're doing it. And as you do it, something happens to you, but it's later that you realize the impact of what you're doing. It's hard work. There's no doubt about it. In your life and my life, what we find is God puts us in situations where we, we can't quite see it. We can't quite understand it. But then later we look back and go, oh, that's what he was doing. I'm so glad that I served. I'm so glad that I was humble. Or we look back and say, I didn't understand. I was full of myself. I resisted. I didn't want to do what Jesus was calling me to do, and now I'm paying for it. There's something here where we've got to embrace what Jesus is doing, his passion for serving people. He took it on himself. Nobody assigned it to him. Here's the thing. I want to be a church. One chapel needs to be a church where we will volunteer for the lowest the lowest job, the servant who is willing to take whatever job Jesus assigns to us. Came to the city 
to do whatever Jesus gives us to do, if that's picking up trash in a park because the city doesn't have enough money to clean it up themselves, then we'll volunteer for it. I want to be the church that's looking for places to serve. I want you to be the people. I want me and you to be the people that will embrace the passion for serving that Jesus had. So here it is. He says, verse 8, No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. (laughs) Peter's like missing it. He doesn't quite get it, which is kind of him in the scriptures. These bold statements. You're never going to wash my feet. This is never going to happen to me. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless you embrace this thing that I'm doing for you and with you, you can have no part with me. Then Jesus answered, Oh, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, verse 9, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter, in his bombastic nature, realizes what Jesus is saying and then says, okay, pour it all over me. Notice what Jesus says here to him, though. Jesus answered, a person who has a who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you talking about Judas. But what he's saying to Peter is, and you've got to hear this, he's saying, Peter, you're not understanding what I'm telling you. You have everything you need. I'm going to demonstrate something for you. You're already clean, and I'm showing you how to operate, how to function as a person who's totally clean. I'm helping you figure out you're already clean because of what you believe, because of what I've done for you. But now I'm demonstrating how a clean person, how a person who's been washed is supposed to act. You and I have been washed. We are clean. Don't let the devil convince you that you are not clean. You are clean, believing in the work that Christ is doing in your life. Now, this is how a clean person is supposed to act, by serving others. Here it is, verse 10. Jesus says, a person who has, oh, sorry, verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. He was talking about Judas. Now, let's just stop right here. And understand that Judas was going to betray him, and he knew it. Judas was in this group of people, and he was washing Judas's feet. He was washing the feet of the person who would deny him. He was washing the feet of the disciples who would run in the next few days. And Jesus would be all alone. He knew this was coming. And how, how in the world could he wash their feet? Some of you are struggling. You can't figure out how you could bring yourself to wash the feet of the person who's violated you, the person who has disappointed you, the person who you're struggling with. You can't imagine it. Well, that's because you have the wrong view, the wrong focus. Jesus had an incredible opportunity here. He washed the feet of the denier and he washed the feet of the betrayer. How did he do it? How did he do this? Look, look at what it says here in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done 
for you. And then this pivotal verse, this is the verse I want you to underline, verse 16. He says, I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now on the face of it, what you see in that passage is, I'm the teacher, you're the student, do what I've told you to do. But I think in this little passage, we find the miracle of how Jesus washes the feet of the denier and washes the feet of the betrayer. How do you serve people in your life? Because it's easy to serve people who like you. How do you serve people who are difficult to serve? How do you lay down your life as Jesus did for those who somehow in your mind do not seem worthy of the serving? How do you do this? Here it is. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's talking about himself. He's saying, I was sent by my father. I was sent by one who told me to wash your feet. I'm doing this not because of you. I'm not doing this just to serve you, Peter. I'm not doing this just to serve you, Judas. I serve my father. And as I serve my father, it gives me power. It gives me strength to be able to wash your feet. The passion for serving comes from knowing who it is that you're actually serving. The power for serving, the passion for serving that we need to embrace is to understand that you are serving your father by picking up trash, that you're serving your father by forgiving those who have hurt you, that you are serving your father by surrendering your life and pouring it out for people who seem undeserving. You can only have the power to do that if you understand who you're serving. Jesus could wash the feet of the denier and the betrayer and all who were about to leave him because it wasn't just them he was serving. It wasn't just them he was serving. This is the intense desire that Jesus wants to transfer to us. The intensity of the passion of serving others. Jesus wants us to embrace it. He wants us to fight for it. He wants us to engage it. He wants us to be able to take a hold of this idea and to serve our city and to serve those who are near us. And I'm telling you this, here's where it begins. It begins in your home. Some of you are like, what? What? I thought I was, I thought I was serving homeless people. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot easier to serve people who you don't know what's going on in their lives and what's happening. It's very difficult to serve somebody that you know everything that's going on in their life. But here's the thing. It's a family that we learn how to love. It's how we, where we learn how to fight. It's where we learn how to serve another, even in their own failures, their own frailties, their own foolishness. It begins with your spouse. It begins with your kids. It begins with your Parents, yes, you are called as a 16-year-old to think through the lens that Jesus gives you to serve those who you don't think are worthy or deserving of your serving. This is how it happens. This is who we're called to be at One Chapel. This is what we're called to do and the shaping and the molding, you may not have the, maybe the, the sense that you can do this 
But I'm telling you, if you'll plunge into God, if you'll plunge into him, if you'll allow him to take over, if you'll allow him to pour himself into you, if you'll have the right perspective and view him as the one that you're serving in everything that you do, your marriage can be healed, your relationship with your kids can be fixed, your relationship with people at work can be transformed. You can see God do wonders if you'll, com- if you'll commit, if you'll surrender, if you'll yield, if you'll fight for the passion of serving others. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray. I want to ask Jesus to give us the grace to do this. I want to ask Jesus to give us the strength to do it. So close your Bibles and close your eyes and let's pray Let's take a moment here and let's allow the Lord to work these ideas into us. Heavenly Father, we hear the call. We hear your Spirit speaking to us. And we confess we don't, this is not a natural disposition. We are not naturally predisposed to take on the lowest role in the house, but we want to be. We want to be the kind of people that don't even have to be assigned, that will actually volunteer, that will actually embrace what you're doing, and that we will become the people that will serve our city and serve one another, that we won't view church and our environment here at One Chapel through the lens of what it does for us, but we will view our participation in the body of believers as people that we can serve, that we can find a place for serving. Help us to see into our role for what you're doing in the city. Help us to understand how you are forming and shaping One Chapel so that we can be the people who will serve the needs, that whatever the needs are, whatever they happen to be, we'll volunteer for and we'll say, yes, use us. Let it happen. Jesus, we want to be like you. We want to have a passion for serving. We want to have a passion for loving. We want to have a passion for surrender. We want to wrap a towel around our waist and we want to go out into the world and we want to make sure that people are seeing you, witnessing what you're doing through us. Imagine it, if you will. Imagine what would happen if we decide in this moment, in this place today, to serve those around us, to lay our lives down for those who need to see a picture of who Christ is. Imagine what would happen in our workplaces if we all decided, yes, we're going to live like this. We're going to embrace a passion for serving. Imagine if we started looking for ways that we could pour into other people's lives. What would happen to our world? What would happen to our family? Lord, this is what we want to sign up for. This is what we want to sign up for. So work it into our lives. Work it into our hearts. Would you just all over the room open up your hands kind of in a posture of receiving and let him pour himself into you? Just a posture of receiving, kind of palms up to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, pour it into us. Give us your grace. Give us your strength. Give us your anointing. Give us your eyes to see people in need. Give us the understanding to take on the interests of others and to rely on you 
to see ourselves as serving you, to love others without limits so that we can be the picture of your love for them. We love you. We thank you. We're so grateful for this, what you're doing, that you include us, that you've called us, you've counted us worthy. In Jesus' name. Now, just with your eyes closed and your head bowed, just briefly, I just want to ask one more question. Is there anybody here that this is your moment, this is, the Lord has spoken to you, you, you sense it, maybe for the first time in a long time, he's calling you to follow him. And you want to make a commitment to Christ today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm, I'm not going to do anything like that. I just want to give you a chance to respond. If you've been away from the Lord and this is your moment to come back, I just want you to lift up your hand. If this is the first time that you've really understood Jesus came to serve and give his life for you, and you want to respond to him and you want to give your life back to him, I want to give you a chance to do that. Is there anybody in the room that wants to say, I want to follow Jesus. It's been a long time. I'm coming back to him, and I want to let you know. Just lift up your hand in the air. Anybody in the room? Anybody? Yep, I see your hand. Yep. Anybody else? Is there anybody else? Yeah, I see you. That's good. That's so good. Let's all say this prayer together, and would you repeat after me? Everybody in the room, let's pray. Heavenly Father, everybody say it together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for serving me. I repent of my sins, my failures, all my foolishness, all my mistakes. I give them to you today. Come into my life. Make me a new person. Forgive me. Heal me. Wash away my sins. Make me clean so that I can serve others, so that I can love others the way you loved me. Be the Lord of my life. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person who has made this commitment today, and I pray that you would empower them and grace them. And Lord, just strengthen their arms. Strengthen their heart. Help them, Lord. Seal the work that you're doing in their hearts today. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's thank Jesus for what he's doing. Hey, if, this, if, you, if you made a commitment to Christ or if Jesus did something in your life today, I would love to know about it. Mark that little place on your connection card and put it in the boxes on your way out. Or you can put it at the table. There's a basket there you can toss it into. I would love to know what's happening to you. The rest of you, if you're here for the first time and you want to know what's going on with One Chapel, drop those connection cards in the box or at the table out in the lobby. And I'd love to see any of you who are brand new and meet you in the lobby right after the service, all right? Come on, stand up and let me dismiss you. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.